There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, today we are... Well, first of all, we're coming off of a presentation last week with Greg Knott from Russell Investments. Yep. Right? Yeah. Everything you wanted to know about fixed income. Yep. And it sounds like right now is not a bad time to be in fixed income. Well, especially because a couple episodes ago, we talked about bull and bear market cycles. And you could talk about bull and bear market cycles for fixed income as well. Of course. Right? And, you know, similarly to a bear market equity market, we are in a arguably a bear market fixed income market. That's right. And the subsequent years after every one of those has always been kind of double digit returns in that asset class too, right? So Yep. Yeah, exactly. The question is, do you want to buy things when they're cheap? Well, I think you do. I do. But obviously a lot of people don't because there's not a lot of buying when things are cheap in these markets per se, right? Right Right on. But when people do buy these things, they buy things like mutual funds, right? Yep. Or exchange-traded funds or closed-in funds or other types of securities. So today we're going to start a uh, Back to Basics mini-series. It's going to take us through six episodes, and the first one is is about wh- what is a mutual fund. Yeah, yeah, it's important. It's important because you know, for many people, in order to get the the diversification that you need and you want in a portfolio, uh, mutual funds are the way to go. Yeah, and too often over the years, I've run into investors who say things like, "Don't even talk to me about mutual funds. I lost money in mutual funds before, and you know, they're they're not good investments." Yeah, these are just either. I don't want to say uneducated, but these are people that are just not aware that not all mutual funds are created equal. Exactly. Just like not all stocks are created equal, like not all bonds are created equal. Yep. Right Right. on. So anyways, you want to get into it? Let's get into it. You bet. All right. Of course, we talk about it ad nauseum on these podcasts, the importance of planning and making planning an ongoing process, not just something you do once. Today, Greg, we're getting back to our roots a bit something more investment related. We're going to talk about something that's important. And it's important because we get a lot of questions about it. And that is, Greg, what is a mutual fund? We're going to get into it, but there's a lot of misunderstandings about mutual funds and what they're all about. Well, the question that I've had many times over the years where the statement is almost like mutual funds, I don't like mutual funds. I like stocks. I don't want to pay those mutual fund fees or something like that. So I've had this discussion many, many times, and I'm sure you have as well. I have. And it's interesting because when you get into that, I don't like mutual funds, and you dive into, well, why don't you like mutual funds? What's typically the answer? Well, I bought one and it did terribly. And so I got out of it. (laughs) And which one did you buy? Well, I did the one that did really well the year before. And so there's a lot of reasons why people don't like mutual funds, but typically that's a biggie. Exactly. Because let's face it, not all mutual funds are created equal, just like how all individual stock portfolios are not created equal too. So, But too often we're talking to clients about when we're talking about investing in equities, and we mentioned that those equities are mutual fund based, it becomes clear that there might be a disconnect because you can have mutual funds that are specific to bonds or specific to stocks or a combination that holds bonds and stocks, 
or even a mutual fund of other mutual funds. For sure. So there's definitely pros and cons to investing in mutual funds or even exchange-traded funds. And this might blow some of the listeners' minds, but Greg, mutual funds and exchange-traded funds are basically the same thing. Extremely similar, that's right. But they're marketed differently. So the main difference is that mutual funds, well, actually I won't get into all the differences, but one of the main differences is that they're priced at the end of the trading day where exchange-traded funds are priced throughout the day, but the structure is essentially the same thing. There's actually many fund companies that have a mutual fund version and an ETF version of the same portfolio. Exactly. So before we get into it, Greg, I wanted to play you a little song because people are going to ask about freedom, the freedom to choose things. Right right? on. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, whatever. So let's listen to a little Fleetwood Mac here just for fun, maybe as a time filler. (laughs) It's maybe showing my age, but this album used to be one of my favorite albums of all time when it came out. (laughs) That was a very, very long time ago. What would that have been? About 1978, 79 maybe? Stop dating it. Stop dating it. (laughs) Well, I was a very young man. Anyways. A child, actually. Exactly. Let's get into it. Greg, what's a mutual fund? All right. Well, a mutual fund is a type of investment fund. Sounds a little bit redundant. What's an investment fund? An investment fund is a collection of investments. So as you mentioned, it could be stocks, bonds, other funds, whatever. So it's a collection of investments and a mutual fund is just a type of that. But unlike some of the other types of investment funds, mutual funds are open-ended, which means that as more people invest, put more money into the fund, the fund issues new units or shares. And so the mutual fund, so it's open-ended mutual fund, and that'll become important when we talk later about ETFs. A mutual fund typically focuses on some specific types of investments. So if it's a bond fund, it may invest mainly in government bonds, or it might invest in stocks, but stocks from large companies only, or it might invest in stocks from certain countries. And then you have other funds that might be, say, balanced funds, which invest in a mix of stocks or bonds or other mutual funds. Well, this goes back to your point about if somebody invested in a mutual fund years back and it didn't work out and they say, I hate mutual funds, but you just point out there's so many variations of what a mutual fund can be. Exactly right. And so why would somebody invest in mutual funds? Well, when you buy a mutual fund, what you're doing is you're pooling your money with many other investors. So this allows you to invest in a variety of investments for a relatively low cost. Because when you think about it, if you were to build a diversified portfolio of stocks, well, and we can argue about what diversified means, but let's say somebody considers 50 stocks as being properly diversified. Well, if you've got $100,000 to invest, you would end up having to buy $2,000 worth of 50 individual stocks. Mm -hmm. You would rack up some serious trading charges and you would have relatively small investments in each one. Even if one of those $2,000 positions doubled in size, it's not really going to impact the overall position, right? So by pooling your money with other investors who are looking for a similar type of investment, let's call it, for example, U.S. stocks, you're able to have a very diversified portfolio without having to spend all of the money, time and effort to individually buy 50 or more stocks. And by the way, most mutual funds hold probably closer to 100. So that's a problem. The other advantage, obviously, is that what you're doing is you're hiring a professional manager to make decisions about the specific investments. So by doing that, you're getting the benefit of a professional manager, or at least somebody who does nothing else for a living, but selects stocks, 
by whatever basis they choose to do that, as opposed to trying to do it yourself. Kind of like building a road, like you'd want somebody that that's all they do is build roads to build that road? Exactly right. The thing about mutual funds, obviously, they're broadly available through investment dealers like ourselves or banks and credit unions, things like that. So broadly available, and you can buy or sell your funds at any time. Like all investments, mutual funds have risk. And it's one of the things that people have to realize, just like if you're buying stocks individually or you're buying them through mutual funds, you could lose your money on the investment. And that typically happens when the markets go through some of their more normal corrections or even bear markets, which come around from time to time. So the value of the funds change as the value of the investments inside the funds go up or down. And depending on the nature of the fund, the value could change frequently and by a lot. So the other thing is there are fees that will affect the return on your investment. Some of the fees that are embedded in mutual funds are paid by you and others are paid by the fund directly. So one of the things that's really critical is understanding the costs of investing. And we've talked about that many times. In fact, I think it's one of the three things when we talk about controlling what you can control, it's one of the three. We talk about asset allocation, diversification, and cost. Fees and expenses, super important. So we really have to understand the costs of investing in mutual funds. And so let's take a look at what are the costs of owning mutual funds. So the bulk of the cost of a mutual fund, it's what's called the MER, which stands for Management Expense Ratio. And so the Management Expense Ratio will vary from fund to fund, but the Management Expense Ratio includes a couple of key things. So let's look at a couple of different types of mutual funds. So you'll hear us talk about Series F or F-class funds. And those are the kind of funds that we buy in fee-based accounts. So as many of our listeners know, that one way that accounts can be managed by us is on a fee basis where there's no charges for transactions when we buy or sell a mutual fund or a stock or a bond. There's no charges because that's all included in the overall fee that's charged based on the assets in the account. So those are called Series F. And the others are called Series A. Those are the advisor series. And that's where a client account, the transactions are being paid for each time there's a transaction made. And so even though we never charge a fee to buy or sell a mutual fund, whether it's a Series A or Series F, the Series A fees have some extra costs included. And we'll talk about those. So let's talk about the Series F first. So the fee-based type of mutual funds, the costs only reflect the costs of the fund itself. So we use it in fee-based accounts, as I mentioned, and any fee for advice or services charged separately. So the MER, or the management expense ratio for the Series F funds, includes the fee paid to the mutual fund company for investment management to pay the fund's operating expenses and taxes. So let's start with a mutual fund that has, say, a management fee of 0.6%, or what we call 60 basis points. That means 0.6%. And that's kind of a typical fee, but not the best fee, but a typical fee charged on Canadian equity mutual funds. And what you'll find is that a fixed income fund typically has slightly lower fees than that. So you're paying the management fee of 0.6%. What does that cover? Well, it pays for the professional investment management and research, the risk management oversight, the service and support for our firm, in this case, the firm we work for, and the day-to-day management of the mutual fund company. So that's the first component, the management expense. Because those mutual fund companies aren't charities. They have costs. They have employees. They do pay people to, that's what you're paying for is the professional management. 
And then the second component of the management expense ratio are operating expenses. And so these might be somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 basis points or 0.1%. And that'll vary again from fund to fund. And the operating expenses will include things like record keeping for unit holders, other day-to-day expenses such as accounting and fund valuation, custody, audit, legal services, regulatory filings, costs of preparing and distributing annual and semi-annual reports, that kind of thing. So those are the operating expenses. So the management fee and the operating expenses add up to make the MER. And on top of that, they are subject to tax at a rate that's determined in the provinces where the funds unit holders live. So let's say, for example, we'll use Toronto because a lot of mutual funds are based there. Eight basis points would be around the right amount for taxes for those funds in Ontario. So Which, is, which would be different than Alberta, of course. Different from Alberta, that's right. So if you add up everything, it looks like you've got 60 basis points management fee, 10 basis points for operating expenses, eight for taxes, and so 0.78% a year. So that's the management or the MER. That was Series F. Now let's look at Series A. So Series A, as I mentioned, those are for accounts that are not in a fee-based structure. And so the Series A reflects the cost of the fund that we just talked about and includes a fee payable to the advisor or I should say to the advisor's firm, for their advice and service. So when you say advisor firm, that could be a bank. So if you bought a Series A mutual fund from a chartered bank, there would be a fee embedded in there. That's right. So that fee is called a trailing or a service fee. And those fees, because in those cases, the investor is not paying fees directly to the advisor firm, And so they're collected basically as part of the overall management expense ratio of the fund and then paid to the advisor's firm. So typically for a A A-class fund or A-series fund, the typical service or trailing fee would be about 1% for stock-based mutual funds or equity funds, and usually 0.5 to 0.75% for fixed income funds. When you talk about the trailer fee, well, what exactly does that cover? And It can be broken down into three components. So the first thing is advice. So financial advisors provide advice. They do due diligence on the fund. They make sure that it meets the investor's objectives. They do tax planning and things like that. So that component is the advice component. The second component would be, I guess, access. And that's the infrastructure required by the advisor and the firm to support the distribution, sale, and servicing of those mutual funds and things like a trade confirmations, opening and closing accounts, etc. So lots of those types of things. So in general, as I mentioned, you're looking at a fee from 0.5% to 1%. So that covers off the management expense ratio, or MER. Wait, though, you said there's three things, I thought. Three components, advice, okay. access, and... Service. Service. Service, okay. yeah, absolutely. Gotcha. So we talked about the MER, and again, for an F-class fund, we said, let's say that might be 0.78% for a typical fund, a Canadian fund. And so if you add the 1% service fee for a A-class fund for somebody who's not in a fee-based account, then that would be 1.78%. At a minimum. That's right. That's an average. Now, we don't think that's the best we can do. And obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about how can you do better than that? And the answer is, well, lots of ways. There are many funds that have lower fees. And of course, that's what we would want to focus on ourselves. But in addition to the MER, there's something that's not quite as well documented, and that's the TER, which stands for Trading Expense Ratio. And what that measures is the 
fund's trading costs. And so you'll find if a fund is highly active and the managers are doing tons of trading, then the trading expense ratio is going to be higher. And in fact, it can be a lot higher. And so when we're talking about certain funds, I was looking at one fund in particular, and this is a Canadian equity fund. To remain nameless. To remain nameless. It does invest in U.S. securities, but the turnover in that fund is 263%. Let's just explain that for a second. So in a typical mutual fund that's replicating a market, the turnover would be just whatever the market turnover would be. So if it's the S&P 500, as an example, the turnover would be just to trade positions to replicate the index. That's right. I don't have the exact number on it, but I think it's something like 4 or 5% a year. So 263% is pretty active. That's a lot higher than 5%. That is. And as a result, so the trading expense ratio on that is 18 basis points or 0.18%. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but there are funds that you can buy where the trading expense ratio is close to zero. And those would be funds that tend to hold positions longer and not trade as often and therefore not trigger not only capital gains, possibly, but also trading expenses. So when you add up the MER and the TER, for example, that's what the total costs are. And so you have to be very mindful because with trading costs of 0.18% on top of an MER, which could be anywhere from 0.782, this particular fund I mentioned, the actual MER on an F-class version of the fund, which means the investor is also paying a fee to the advisor separately, the total MER was 2.99%, 0.18% for trading costs, so 3.17% overall. Okay, so let's break that down for listeners here just for a sec. So if you invested in that fund that's charging 3.17% plus a service fee of, let's call it 1%, so 4.17%. So that fund has to do 4.17% higher than the market return just to break even to the market. Every year. Every year. Exactly. And the likelihood of that every year is probably pretty low, Greg. Exactly. And certain funds may outperform in certain years and underperform in other years. And that's why you need to really look at, well, what exactly is the fund investing in? What is the volatility of the fund? Is maybe some of that related to this incredibly high turnover? Well, and so let me ask you this. Are we recommending that clients focus on their fees as a way to improve their performance? Yes, we are. Of course we are. You yeah. need to understand those fees. You need to understand what's embedded and what's transparent. Because one other thing you didn't mention is that the service fee on an F-class fund would be transparent and it could be written off as somebody's personal tax return as a professional expense in some cases. Exactly. Whereas in an A-class fund, the same fee is there, but it's embedded and not really talked about or able to be written off. That's right. And again, our point here in talking about fees is not to say, gee, mutual funds are bad because they have fees, because of course there's fees to everything, whether you're buying and selling individual stocks on a transaction basis, there's costs to buying ETFs, there's cost to buying bonds or GICs. So there's always fees, but you have to know the fees, understand them, and make sure that you're building that into your overall plan so that you know the fees and know what the hurdle is, basically. Well, I know we don't have any problem when people ask us what the fees are in breaking it down. And if you're working with somebody that was avoiding that question, well, maybe you might want to question whether you should be working with them. Yeah, there's nothing to be defensive about. And all investors are entitled 
to transparent fees and to know what they're paying for. Let's get into some of the pros and cons of mutual funds. And there's a few out there. So some of them you kind of touched on. So advantages of mutual funds. Number one, you mentioned advanced portfolio management. Now, whether you believe in modern portfolio theory and active versus passive or whatever it is, you have to believe that somebody who does this for a living all day long probably has access to more information than somebody who looks at the newspaper on the weekend to see what stocks to buy. And so there's a cost to hiring those professional managers that have fancy designations like CFA at the end of their name, Chartered Financial Analyst, and they have hordes of employees that all they do is analyze stocks and bonds, and there's a cost to that. There's an advantage to that too, because you're in industry professionals. Another advantage would be dividend reinvestment. So as dividends and other interest income sources are declared for the mutual fund, it can be used to purchase additional shares in that fund on a monthly basis. So as the dividends come in, it just purchases more units. Makes it very simple. It does. And it goes back to that open-ended thing that you talked about where the mutual fund can just issue more units to accommodate those new purchases. Another advantage is safety or risk reduction as done through diversification, something we've talked about many times in many episodes and is probably the second thing you need to get right. The first thing you need to get right is asset allocation, like how much risk you should have in your portfolio. And then you need to diversify specific risk away from your portfolio. So by holding things that hold more things, you just naturally get more diversification. The last one would be convenience and fair pricing. So mutual funds are easy to buy and pretty easy to understand, actually. They typically have low investment minimums and they're traded once a day at the closing net asset value of the day. So this eliminates any price fluctuation throughout the day and various arbitrage opportunities that perhaps some day traders practice or try to practice. For sure. Now, Greg, are we recommending that people day trade? No, I'm not, Colin. (laughs) Never. (laughs) I mean, if you want to lose money, go for it. But I think the idea here is to make money. Okay, so disadvantages of mutual funds. There are some, of course, and you pointed out that there are some that have high expense ratios and sales charges. Sales charges you didn't really get into in your description there, but we have F class with no sales charge, A class with maybe no sales charge, maybe up to 2% or something like that. Then you have low load and DSC or deferred sales charge or deferred service charge. So we won't get into the details of that, but you need to understand what you're owning. That's right. And certainly any investors or clients of the CM group know that probably it's been 20 years since we've ever charged either to purchase or sell a mutual fund because we don't believe in it. Again, sales charges are something that can be a factor for different companies. Well, and there's a big movement to get rid of some of those sales charges. The securities commissions are trying to ban the use of deferred sales charges because it's been found not to be in the investor's best interests. So listen, be aware of what your service charges and sales charges are. Another disadvantage might be management abuses. So what do I mean by that? Something you talked about, high turnover, a portfolio that's turning over 263%, that might not be at the best interest of the investor. There's also this thing called closet indexing where you might have a mutual fund or an exchange-traded fund that is basically mirroring the market, but they're just overweighting a few stocks. Exactly. And the other thing, which is called window dressing, is that every quarter, the fund is required to publish a list of their holdings. These days, a lot of stocks are in the news. And so a lot of investors are 
looking at the holdings and wanting to make sure that their fund owns the stocks that are in the news. And so what happens is towards the end of the quarter, you might find some fund managers actually trying to make the portfolio look a bit better. Because if they weren't holding the stock that they made all the news, they want to get it into the portfolio before they have to report or get rid of stocks that everyone knows have done poorly and they want to get them out of the portfolio before they have to publish their holdings. And so I'm not happy to report that that happens, but unfortunately it does happen sometimes. You just need to be aware of what can go on. Well, I mean, there's good, highly reputable fund companies out there and there's ones that maybe, I don't know, don't fall into that same camp. Tax inefficiency. So like it or not, investors do not have a choice when it comes to capital gains payouts and mutual funds. Those capital gains need to be distributed before the end of the calendar year. And I think in most cases. So a practice that we typically do for clients is we don't want to really purchase those mutual fund positions later in the year, because if you purchase them, let's say December 20th, you might have a tax issue as if you held that position for the whole year. So that is a disadvantage. And poor trade execution. So what do we mean by that? So if you place your mutual fund trade anytime before the cutoff time for the same day net asset value, you'll receive the same closing price for your buy or sell on the mutual fund. So for investors looking for faster execution times, maybe because of shorter time horizons, day trading or trying to time the markets, which Gregor, we recommend people time markets. Absolutely not. No, don't do that to yourself. (laughs) I don't think we can say that enough times. (laughs) Don't do it. But in that case, the argument would be that there's a limit to trade execution. For sure. And listen, I do want to make a point now. We've talked about some of the disadvantages of mutual funds. These are potential disadvantages. However, through careful due diligence and understanding exactly what we own, I think we can safely say that when we buy mutual funds on behalf of investors, we've made sure that none of these disadvantages exist. For example, poor trade execution. Well, you can tell based on how the fund trades on TERs, things like that, you can tell if a trade execution is a problem. Tax inefficiency, not all mutual funds distribute a lot of capital gains at the end of the year. For example, funds with low turnover would have much fewer capital gains, even if they had the same return as another fund that had a high turnover. They will have less capital gains that they have to distribute to their unit holders. And so, in fact, you can find some very tax efficient mutual funds because they have low turnover and therefore low distributions and therefore the capital gains continue to accrue without actually being distributed. And management abuses, again, due diligence, you can find funds where, again, window dressing is not an issue, closet indexing is not an issue because you can tell by the nature of the portfolio and how the portfolio changes from time to time that these funds are being well managed. Let's dive into ETFs because we're going to talk about ETFs. We got like two minutes to talk about Two ETFs. minutes, okay. Well, here's the thing. What's an ETF? Well, it's kind of like a mutual fund. And the main difference between an ETF and a mutual fund is that the ETF trades on the stock exchange. So as you mentioned earlier, Colin, an ETF is just a basket of securities. So it could hold exactly the same securities as a mutual fund. But rather than buying or selling the units back to the fund company at the end of each day, you can actually just buy them on the stock exchange. They trade like a regular stock. And so it's been described to us, which I like, is that the difference between an ETF and a mutual fund is sort of like the difference between a hardcover and a paperback novel. That just being, it's just the cover. Just the wrapper is different and inside the individual holdings could be exactly the same. Now, ETFs have become popular 
over the past number of years. But they go all the way back to about 1990, which we talked about before. One of the first ETFs was one based on the Toronto Stock Exchange Composite Index. Back in 1990, it was called TIPS, which was the Toronto Index Participation Securities. But obviously, since that time, there's been thousands and thousands of ETFs that have been launched. And ETFs can be either passively managed. Most of the ones that came out in the early years were passive, meaning they just replicated an index. So in the case of the TIPS in Canada, they replicated the Toronto, at that time, the TSE 35 index, which was the index of the 35 largest companies trading on the Toronto Exchange, or the Dow Jones Industrial 35 or the S&P 500, the 500 stocks that make up the broad large cap market in the U.S. But since those early days, you still have all of the different indexes covered by exchange-traded funds or ETFs, but you also now have actively managed ETFs, which again then would be identical to a mutual fund with the exception that they trade on the stock exchange. Yeah. So if the old argument was an active mutual fund versus a passive ETF, but then the passive ETF becomes an active ETF, then the hardcover becomes a hardcover. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, we're not going to get into any more on ETFs today, just in the interest of time, but we should let everybody know that we are starting a new mini series. It's a back to basics mini series. And we're going to go through some of this stuff like asset allocation, diversification, market timing, things of that nature. And we will spend an episode digging into exactly how an ETF works, maybe even compare it to what a hedge fund is, how that works, and spend some time in that area. Right on. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.